0: Good morning, folks. Thanks for joining us on Liberty Grace Online. I want to give you an update. Uh, we are looking at doing our church picnic, which normally we have at Greenhouse Park. We're going to do that on-site at Liberty Grace there at 1081 Tenor Street on August the 16th. So... After church, we'll have church at 10.30 in the morning. And then right after church, we'll have a meal that is going to be served there. We've got some pulled pork sandwiches and some other things uh, going to be served to you guys. Some things for the kids, things like that to do. Kickball game, probably. uh, Cornhole. All kinds of stuff for us to act as a family and to spend some time uh, with one another, enjoying uh, fellowship and time as the body. So so August the 16th, plan on coming to the church for our service at 1030 and staying immediately afterward for our picnic and uh, some good family time. I know that uh, this has been a, a special thing as we have continued to walk through the book of Mark and look At what Jesus is teaching his disciples as they are coming to grips with who he is and what he's capable of and and some of what he is planning for this world it's uh, it's pretty incredible how God put all of this together for us as we study together and and look at how the pieces that applied to the disciples as they were in a world that that didn't appreciate Jesus or his methods, or uh, even they didn't at times, that we can look past those things and, and see what it was that Jesus's true mission was for our eternity to be changed. And last week we ended with Philippians that everything was going to be put under the control of Jesus and that one day he would come and he would rule and he would reign here with us in a place that had no more pain, no more doubt, no more sin, none of those things. And, and Jesus had to remind them that he was going to set up a good kingdom, that, that someday he would return and all of the goodness that god provides would be restored and that is as the process was working itself out he also needed to remind the disciples that there would be pain involved in the process that that he was going to have to die and be raised again from the grave. And we know all of those things now historically and and biblically to be true. But they were hearing these things before it happened. And so they still couldn't quite get their mind around it. And as we move into Mark chapter 9, we see in verse 30 that Jesus tells his disciples again about what's going to happen. So if you're sitting there with your Bible, verse 30 of chapter 9 is where we're going to start. If you've looked at version already, then you know where we're at. So Mark chapter 9, verse 30. They left that place and passed through Galilee, and Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. And Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. If you remember from last week, we understand that Jesus has a very different view of this world. Don't be concerned with the things of this earth, but be concerned with the things of eternity, is what he is continuing to try to teach the disciples. And and the funny thing is, as he is leading them along the way, pulls them aside again, just them, and reiterates that there's a process to what's going on here. That, that eternity is going to be set in the hearts of men, and you yearn for that perfection, but it's not going to be here in this physical world. That there's something that has to happen again, as we talked about last week, spiritually first, and he has to, to go to the cross be killed and rise again to to conquer sin and death and the guilt inside of us to restore us to what he wants us to be for eternity. And they didn't understand that. They still struggled to comprehend what he meant. They were still thinking about things here on this earth and they began to argue about who would be positioned at his right hand, right? We We find it in the other Gospels that... They argue about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, and they they still think in these human terms that, well, if Jesus is going to be king, who gets to be his right-hand man? And they're arguing about those things as they know them literally and physically, and Jesus knows what they're arguing about. He understands it, and he asks them, why were you arguing on the road? And they were embarrassed, I'm sure, about arguing over these physical things. They, they wanted to kind of leapfrog the process past what Jesus was talking about, about him being handed over into the, the hands of men, that he would be killed and rise from the dead. They wanted to kind of leapfrog that to the place, Jesus, where you told us about your kingdom. He continually draws them back in and says, you need to understand, you need to get the fact that anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. That there is a process that even Jesus is engaged in as he's following his father's plan. He's here on purpose. He is God in the flesh for a purpose, and he is going to have to be that payment that that oh that way forward for us into salvation, that that we will no longer have the struggle of sin in our lives, but that only comes as a result of the payment for it that Jesus made. And the disciples said, well, we don't quite understand that. And we were arguing on the way about who is going to be the greatest. And you know that. And Jesus reminds them of the process that there's going to be things that have to happen first. I have to be handed over. I have to be killed. Then I will rise from the dead, and my finished work here on earth will usher in a different process. But the plan is eternal, that God the Father has orchestrated it from the beginning of time until now, all together. He's never been outside of control. He's always been offering us an opportunity to find salvation through his son, Jesus. Jesus reminded them that there's a process, that they must first find their place at the end of the line and serve others, that that they're going to have to to learn what that looks like. Jesus gives two examples here in Mark chapter 9. Right after this discussion, Mark lists them. In verse 36, he talks about a little child that comes to him. And in verse 38, he talks about a man that, that is not necessarily one of the disciples. And, and it's interesting to me that Jesus uses these illustrations to teach the disciples what it's going to be like to be engaged in the process. That he's not concerned about how it's going to finish, he already knows, but it's about us. And, in, and us learning more about the process and how to do what we're doing right now. So in verse 36, Jesus took a little child whom he placed among them, his disciples. He's taking the child into his arms and he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And to right off the bat, you think, well, that's somewhat contradictory, Jesus. What are you talking about? Are you welcoming, are we welcoming you, or are we not welcoming you? What he is saying is very clear that when you welcome Jesus. Anyone who welcomes little children in my name welcomes me. And so so you're welcoming the children. You're serving them. You're bringing them into a relationship with Jesus, one that is about loving God and loving others, as Jesus says over and over. Not only are you welcoming that little child, but you are welcoming Jesus And you are accepting that that's God's plan for the earth and for your life. That you're not only welcoming Jesus and this little child in that moment, but you're also getting on board with the process. That you have entered into what it is that God wants us to do and and the things that we are going to do. It's not just about receiving grace and mercy for ourselves. That's the beginning of the process. Welcoming Jesus into our lives allows us to receive grace and mercy beyond our wildest dreams. But but we're also to administer that grace then to others out of the overflow which Jesus fills our lives with. We get to be engaged as a servant in the process of what God has been doing from the beginning. It should change the way that we do things. It should change the priorities of our life. Yes, we should still be about the things of our family and the things of the church and the things of good work ethic and all of those things, but the foundation should be that we understand we are part of the process that God has ordained from the beginning of time and that we do all of those things, right? Because we realize everything we have is from Him. Everything that we get to do is through Him, and all the glory is to Him. We continue to circle back around to that because if we can grasp those simple phrases, then we've bought into the process that God ordained, and we understand what it really means when I say we get to do this. That God has orchestrated these events in such a way that we are here for a perfect time make no mistake God knew you were going to be going through all that you're going through right now and he offers to the disciples this bit of advice right when they struggle to understand that he's gonna have to die and change the plan that they have in their mind about who's gonna be the greatest he says you've got to be the servant of of all. Allow yourself to serve people. If you welcome little children in my name, then you are welcoming me. If you are out of the overflow of grace in your life, serving others, then you're welcoming Jesus and you're getting involved in the process that God has ordained from the beginning. We get to do this together, The second illustration here in Mark 9 is verse 38 to 41. John says, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I truly tell you, anyone who gives a cup of cold water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. We need to read this carefully. The story is such that that here is a, a man that is driving out demons, that he is He is helping others out of the overflow that he believes Jesus has given to him because he's doing it in Jesus' name. He is now helping others, and the disciples come upon and, and they say, wait, stop, you're not one of the disciples, you shouldn't be doing this. And we need to read this very carefully because it's not what the world uses as the phrase that we commonly think about. Jesus says, don't stop him because anyone who does a miracle in my name can't speak badly of me the next moment because he's used my name to do what he's done. So he can't say, in Jesus' name, I command the demons to go out of you and to help this person and then say, you know what, Jesus, he's just a false prophet. He can't do those two things. And so so this person was doing something in Jesus' name but he wasn't one of the disciples. There's a lot of theories out there that he was one of the disciples of John the Baptist that had witnessed things of Jesus and was was following up on what he had seen Jesus and John do in the past. And Jesus says, whoever is not against us is for us. Read that very carefully. Whoever is not against us is for us for us. That's not what the world tells us, right? The world tells us whoever is not for us is against us. Jesus flips that around. Whoever is not against us is for us. So the disciples were thinking, we've got to stop this guy from doing good works in your name. And Jesus says, no, don't stop him. Just because he's not one of the 12 that I have chosen, he's still doing things in my name. Stop dividing yourselves into such smaller and smaller factions. It's very interesting to me that we find ourselves here in Mark chapter 9. As Jesus says, there's a process that, that we must be engaged in serving one another, that we need to be welcoming people in Jesus' name. And as we do that, we're welcoming God the Father and entering into the depth of the promise and the process that God orchestrated from the beginning. And then he also says, whoever is doing these things in my name, they're with us. Stop Dividing yourself. Folks, I feel like this is specific to right now because the divisions and the factions that we see inside of our world right now, the way in which we are divided into smaller and smaller like-minded groups is not good for us. That's not the way the Bible describes what we're supposed to be doing. When the Bible talks about the body of Christ... It illustrates all of those unique parts that think in certain ways, that do certain things, but they're included in the process of being the body, the hand and the eye and the ear and all of those pieces are necessary for the body to function together. And that's what Jesus is saying here, too, that, that whoever is not against us is for us. Don't stop people doing things in my name. And this is this is difficult for us as a church to get our mind around because we want people to be so unified, but yet we also want them to, to be and to think and act like us. Well, we can't have it both ways. You're going to have an interaction with Jesus that's going to lead you to do a certain thing. We have people whose hearts are convicted to to lead small groups, who lead the worship music on Sunday morning, who minister to our children in Sunday school, who clean the church. All of those people are necessary and they are all for us. Not one of them is elevated above the other in the process. We need to be very careful that we don't do that. We need to use our true strengths. The thing that, that, that we have that not many others have is this image of the body. That we get to come together in all of our uniquenesses and all of our, our subtle differences and we get to be unified by Christ, that as we do what we do at work, at church, in our families, when we do things the way that we do them, we do them uniquely, but we do them all with the foundation of Jesus and all engaged in the process of bringing about what God's plan is for this world, that we all get to do things the way we do them, but we do them for God, to bring Him the glory. As I was thinking about it, I was hoping that this word unity would continue to be embedded in your heart. That as we work with people and individuals, it's difficult because we don't always see eye to eye with people, but we've got to lay aside some of the things that we are fighting over right now. For Jesus's name, for him to be glorified and for us to represent him well as the body, we've got to lay aside some of those things. We've got to enter in and believe in the process. I've made mention of it several times and and I continue to come back to it in my thought process and in my reading. John chapter 17 verses 20 to 23, Jesus has been praying for himself, he's praying for his disciples, and then he gets to pray for all believers is the heading that I find in in my version of the Bible, that Jesus prays for all of us. And this is what he says, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Those of us that are reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the Gospels and the stories about Jesus and the disciples, those of us that come to belief through their message, he's praying for us that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have seen them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that we may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This week, I really want you to think about what we've talked about the last several weeks. That there is something unfolding in our world that has been set in motion from the beginning of time, from creation until now. God has been developing a process, and he's not going to stop now. As we read Mark chapter 9, and we are reminded that that we're not to struggle about who is going to be the greatest. We're not trying to jockey for position. If anything, we should be battling to be the servant of everyone is what Jesus tells us. Because as we serve people, we understand the grace and the mercy that we have received, and we administer it to others, and we welcome them in Jesus' name into the plan that God the Father orchestrated. And we work alongside of people who do things differently, but we do it in Jesus' name. Just as that man was in verse 38 through 41. He was doing what God wanted him to do. He was helping others in Jesus' name. And if we can figure out how Jesus prayed specifically for us, that, that we would understand unity, then the world will know that God sent his one and only son to that world. They're looking to us to see the unity that the body of Christ represents. They're looking to us to see who God is and how he changes lives. And Jesus knew as he prayed for all of us that it would be difficult. And so he prayed specifically that we would come to complete unity so that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So you need to take an inventory this week. Again, we need to continually be reminded, do I really believe that everything I have is from him? that I get to do all kinds of things through him and then I give the glory back to him. And do I make that the focus of my everyday life, my life and my worship, reflect those principles so that I am serving other people in Jesus' name? That I have the opportunity to do that as I work together with the body of Christ And we represent God's love to the world. Father, I too pray. I pray for our unity. Lord, that as these divisions and these factions continue to develop in our world and further divide us, Lord, I pray that your name is what binds us together. That we would forget about positions that we would forget about things of this earthly world and we would focus on you, Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the process that we get to be engaged in, that we would pour out our lives and everything we have so that the world knows that you love them. Lord, I pray that we would do this together. In Jesus' name. Amen.